Hello everyone, I did it right that time. Look at that, you see that? <laughs> Let's <laughs> do it again. <laughs> Let's do it again. Go back to black screen and back again, just so I can show off. Welcome to A Reason for Hope, everyone. So many buttons here to press, it's very fun. Extra uh, steps. <laughs> extra steps, that's right. And you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but I'm trying. Uh, welcome to Reason for Hope. Reason for Hope is an hour-long live broadcast, uh, which is guided by your Bible questions. That's right, it's a Bible Q&A show you can send your questions in through uh, multiple platforms where we're streaming live to which i'll run over in just a moment here send your questions in and we have some wonderful gentlemen here who love the lord and love the word and love to um, delve into the word to answer those questions that's what we're all about so any honest question you have about the bible maybe a specific verse that has uh, confuddled you or um, the bible as a whole uh, maybe something you're going through in your life and you'd like a biblical perspective uh, maybe Christianity as a whole, maybe other other religions. Um, any any question, any honest question you have, as long as you know that the Bible is the source of the answers on this show. That's what Reason for Hope is all about. So once again, my name is Dave Robson. I'll be hosting today and keep an eye on all those platforms as your questions come on in. And with us today on this uh, Friday, Pastor Scott Richards. He's the senior pastor here at uh, Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson. Yes, How you guilty. Doing? Yes, he has charged. Yes, delving Dave. I am here and ready to answer <laughs> questions. That's right. <laughs> Yes, we've discovered I said delve a lot. And the other thing I discovered recently, Bo told me that I sigh a lot. I guess when I'm walking around the church here, like during the week, I tend to go, oh, I make this big sigh and I wasn't, I wasn't aware of it. Now I am very self-conscious about it, but I think I'm a, kind of a shallow breather. So every once in a while it feels well to, oh, it feels good to sigh. Yes. I guess the other staff think that I'm, you know, kind of annoyed or perplexed or so now you're all self-conscious about it aren't <laughs> <Yes>. you <laughs> so now i just don't breathe at all yes when i'm here yes. so just hold my breath so but <laughs> the, the anyway. staff has been briefed on cpr that's right and we'll if proceed. you hear dave sighing just ignore him also yeah. with us pastor sean richards how are you doing today ready for an interesting evening Yes. Yeah, we've got some great questions. We do. Yeah. And you do an outreach tonight. You guys go and do an outreach at the swap meet, right? That's been going for several years now, no? Oh, yeah. And, uh, of course, making uh, enemies on the Internet and friends in real life may just be reversed if we meet the right people. That's right. Yeah. Has it been fruitful out there, would you say? Yeah, we're always available. Yeah, just open to. Well, last uh, week uh, we had the chance to pray with three people to receive the Lord. So, oh wow, um, lots of people making decisions and yeah. hearing the gospel. So it's always good. I would say that's fruit. where the fruit is. That's yeah. right. That's good yeah. fruit. That's yeah. good fruit as well. Yes. Well, once again, as I mentioned, reason for hope is live, uh, live Bible Q and A. We're with you Monday through Friday, five to six p.m. Mountain Standard Time here in Tucson, Arizona, is where we're based here at Calvary Christian uh, Fellowship. And of course, you can join us all around the world as we're, you know, on the uh, the interwebs. Uh, you can go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. You'll find us live there. Uh, while you're there, just have a click around, have a little nose around. We've got lots of studies and um, groups and all kinds of events going on. So especially if you're in the Tucson, Arizona area and you'd uh, like somewhere to fellowship, you're welcome to come check us out. Uh, we stream our services as well live. Um, so you can... Be, uh, be our guest, be our guest, be our guest. But if you go to that Watch Live tab right there, that will take you to our live page. Again, when we're live, whenever we're live, we are live on this page at ccftucson.online.church. When we're offline, you'll see a countdown to our next show and you'll see a schedule of upcoming events. But as we are live right now, you'll see the video right there. You can sign in with a username. And then there's a chat function where you can send your questions and I will be monitoring those. And we would love to get to those questions on the show today. So please do send them in. We're on Facebook, of course, facebook.com slash ccftucson, or just search for Calvary Christian Fellowship 
of Tucson. Don't forget to like and share us around. We'd love to uh, reach out to your sphere of influence. But that's another way you can send your question right there in that chat uh, function, chat box. Send your questions in uh, right there. And um, we would love to receive those. We have an app for your mobile device, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. You've guessed it. Look for that red background with the white Calvary Chapel Dove logo. I think there's a there's quite a few Calvary Christian uh, fellowships. So look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, red background, white Calvary Chapel Dove logo. And you can watch us live on your mobile device as well. And we have a channel on Roku and also on Apple TV. So if you have those devices, add us as a channel in your uh, channel store and uh, you can watch us on the big screen. And we're on YouTube, of course, uh, Reason for Hope. Look for a Reason for Hope right there on YouTube. That's a great place for archives. See that live tab right there. Anytime we've been live, it uh, automatically archives there. So uh, if you missed the show or you want to recap, you know, say I said something that was just hilarious, you just want to show your family, that's a great place to go for the archive shows right there. And our services as well here at Calvary Christian Fellowships, uh, you can watch um, the services there too. So, and of course on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe and like and click the notification bell and then you will get notified when we're live and you won't miss a thing. So that's YouTube, a reason for hope. Uh, our pastor Scott right here is on uh, Twitter. He's here and on Twitter at the same time. It's incredible. His handle is Scott R4H. Scott, letter R number four, letter H. And he posts highlights from the show and posts kind of commentary on world events and all the things going on from a prophetic uh, and biblical perspective. And um, just uh, commentating on life as we move along in these interesting times. So if you're on Twitter, follow along with pastor Scott there, Scott R4H on Twitter, if you're a Twitter kind of person. Uh, we're on Rumble as well, not live, but we post our archive shows right there. So look for a reason for hope, Bible Q&A, if you use the uh, Rumble platform, it's kind of a newer to us thing. Um, and now, of course, our email address, last but not least, is questions for hope. That's questions for hope spelled out with letters at gmail.com. If you're joining us on the radio, we're glad that you're listening to us, maybe on your drive time, but you are listening to the last show we did pre-recorded. So we're not live with you on the radio, so to speak. Uh, but use that email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. And our next show, we will try to get to that question. And of course, you're welcome to join us live on those other platforms. Maybe when you, you get home and you walk through the door and put your shopping down and then uh, turn on YouTube or one of those other channels and send your question in live. But of course, you can email us there anytime uh, with a question, questionsforhope at gmail.com. It's a great way to keep in touch with us. And we're very grateful for you, the viewer, to, uh, again, provide the questions that provide the content as we uh, work through those today. So, well, with all that being said, let's pray before we go any further. We love to pause and pray. Of course, we're handling God's word and want him to speak more than we do, as Sean says. I love that. So, Sean, would you like to pray today? Of course. Great. Dad, thank you that we have the chance to be here. Allow your word to be shared, your heart to be shown, and your name ultimately to be honored as we take the time to, hopefully, as your spirit equips us, accurately represent your word. Use us as you see fit, and we pray that this would be done in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 That is Amen. true. Well, any kind of update today, Pastor Scott? No, some interesting Boy, things. Uh, a lot going on in the Middle East. Uh, we'll uh, uh, try to keep you updated on what's going on here. Uh, there is a uh, open conflict uh, between Islamic Jihad, the terrorist group that is uh, based in uh, Gaza. They are a wholly owned subsidiary of Iran, getting all of their directions and equipping and so forth. Uh, at the direction and supply of the Mad Mullahs in Tehran. Uh, if you've been with us, uh, we've been uh, following along with this conflict as it's unfolded. It's uh, been one uh, that, uh, interestingly enough, uh, does seem uh, to uh, be accelerating over time. 
those of you who have uh, have been with us uh, on the broadcast know that uh, initially uh, Islamic Jihad uh, launched some missiles at Israel, as is their want, uh, during Passover, just because they could. Uh, then uh, we are told that on uh, May 3rd, uh, following the death of an Islamic Jihad official, uh, that uh, a terrorist who had been in jail, uh, in an Israeli jail on an 80-day uh, hunger strike, he passed away. And so uh, Islamic Jihad upped the ante and launched over 100 rockets uh, into Israel. Well, uh, Israel responded uh, sort of a tit-for-tat sort of a thing, and that created a political uh, dust-up uh, in that uh, there were segments of Benjamin Netanyahu's government uh, that felt like uh, this was not uh, an appropriate enough response, given the fact uh, that uh, such a uh, barrage of missiles had been launched. Well, Netanyahu's government just basically said, be patient, we're going to attack at the time of our own choosing, not just when they launch missiles. Well, the time of their own choosing, uh, apparently, uh, truer words were never spoken, uh, because uh, Israel during that time was able to uh, conduct intelligence. We talked a little bit about Amir Safadi's observation that uh, Islamic Jihad uh, thought uh, that they were going to enter into some kind of negotiations with Israel. Uh, in Egypt, and that brought some of their leaders uh, out of hiding. And lo and behold, Israel took these leaders out. Three uh, key leaders in Islamic Jihad uh, were uh, taken out by Israeli attacks uh, right off uh, the get-go as this uh, thing accelerated earlier this week. Uh, overnight, uh, a couple of different things have happened. The number of rockets that Islamic Jihad has launched into Israel has exceeded the 1,000 uh, mark. Uh, also, some of these rockets, interestingly enough, as we mentioned, one of them uh, hitting in an area called uh, Rehoboth, uh, the uh, biblical name Rehoboth, as it's known today, uh, took the life of an 80-year-old woman uh, there. And uh, again, this uh, up the ante as far as Israel's response to all of this, uh, to uh, this hour, uh, the latest update that we have is that uh, at least 215 Islamic Jihad targets across Gaza uh, in, have been uh, attacked during this, this uh, operation. And since last night, uh, there are varying reports, but either five or six key Islamic Jihad leaders uh, have uh, been uh, removed uh, by the Israeli attacks. Now, where things have really begun to accelerate is that Islamic Jihad has responded by launching some rockets and due to a malfunction of the uh, famous Iron Dome defense system, a couple of these rockets were able to land in the foothills around Jerusalem. And uh, that uh, raised another issue. We mentioned to you that in the negotiations uh, that uh, Israel was having with Islamic Jihad, they wanted the return of the body of their leader. Israel said no. Uh, they uh, also uh, wanted uh, a, an ironclad commitment uh, on Israel's part that they would not uh, go after their leadership any longer, no matter what they did. Israel obviously said no to that. But the uh, other interesting uh, proviso that they, they included was that Israel would cancel a holiday called Flag Day. Now, at, at first blush, uh, when we think about Flag Day in our country, it's kind of a minor holiday if uh, it's one that is celebrated at all. It's sort of a junior quasi-Fourth of July sort of a thing, but not in Israel. Uh, Flag Day in Israel, which happens on May 18th of this year, 
commemorates when the uh, city of Jerusalem was placed under entire Israeli control and Flag Day in Jerusalem is commemorated by Israelis parading through both segments of Jerusalem, the west side and the east side of Jerusalem, carrying Israeli flags. Now, last year, Flag Day in Jerusalem was the subject of some riots uh, that had uh, taken place, some provocations on both sides created these riots. And so Islamic Jihad has, as one of their non-negotiables, and I would say when you're kind of getting kicked from pillar to post by your enemy, you're probably not in a place to make demands. But lo and behold, uh, this is one of the things that Islamic Jihad is holding out for. Why are they so insistent on this? Well, uh, once again, we have mentioned that Islamic Jihad is one half of the terror equation in the Gaza Strip. The other uh, dominant half of uh, terrorism in the Gaza Strip is, of course, Hamas, which is also uh, aligned with Iran, but not to the extent that Islamic Jihad is. They sort of try to play both sides against the middle. Hamas's great desire, and they certainly have the polls to support it, is if Mahmoud Abbas, the head of the Palestinian Authority, ever steps down, and he has overstayed his welcome as uh, prime minister for over 12 years now, uh, if he ever steps down, poll after poll shows that the people in uh, the uh, so-called occupied territories, the West Bank, uh, these sort of things, would vote in Hamas uh, as far as their government is concerned. They would vote in a terrorist entity uh, that would be right on uh, the borders, if you will, of Israel, in a, uh, and that would really create some problems. Hamas has stayed out of this conflict, and I believe they have done so uh, because uh, they realize that uh, if Israel had the intelligence to systematically take out uh, the leadership of Islamic Jihad, now five or six of these key leaders are uh, uh, at room temperature, if you will. Uh, Hamas realizes that Israel could do a very similar thing if Hamas decided to get involved. And so I believe they've decided to take a back seat to all of this and let Islamic Jihad do the dirty work and uh, they can do the propaganda thing. Well, I think Islamic Jihad uh, wants to prod Hamas to get into the conflict. And that is why they are making such a big deal about Flag Day in Jerusalem. If Hamas basically sits on its hands and doesn't do anything and Flag Day in Jerusalem goes off as scheduled with the demonstration, the celebration of a united Jerusalem under Israeli control, well, that would be a public relations disaster for the uh, people in Hamas. And it would certainly bolster uh, the power and influence that uh, Islamic Jihad would have among the Palestinian people. So uh, the 18th, next week, I believe the clock is ticking down to all of this. I would look for uh, Islamic Jihad to continue uh, sporadic uh, missile launchings and so forth, uh, trying to do provocative acts like launching missiles into the Jerusalem area and so on. But uh, to keep this thing alive, to keep Israel engaged until Flag Day goes down, and at that point they will um, have enough leverage, I believe, uh, to see uh, Hamas get involved in some way, shape, or form in this conflict. And if that does happen, well, then uh, the, uh, the amount of engagement and the possibility of, say, a group like Hezbollah 
in Lebanon getting involved in the conflict. I think the odds of that would be uh, much, much higher. Again, speculating just on the basis of the information that we have here. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem as we encourage you to do. Uh, could you imagine uh, living in a country, uh, say in the United States, where uh, there, were, there was a terrorist group that, say, uh, was on the uh, Mexico side of uh, the city of Nogales that uh, was equipped uh, with missiles that uh, could, uh, say, go up and hit Tucson on a regular basis. I think we want to be doing something about it. Yeah. Israel is doing something about it. Netanyahu and his government have said they will continue uh, this operation as long as it is necessary. And I think, in a sense, uh, they are using a measured, incremental uh, approach to all of this. Uh, I believe that they could go so far as to call up reservists, have some kind of an armed incursion into Gaza to really strike a blow at Hamas and Islamic Jihad if things heat up. But uh, between now and I believe it's next Tuesday. Is that the 18th? I, I believe so. Uh, that that is uh, that's when 18th will be uh, next Thursday. Okay, next Thursday. Thursday. So uh, from now until that time, this this coming week, definitely be praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Again, this fits into prophecy in the form of wars and rumors of wars. Yeah. People say, is this the Battle of Gog and Magog? No, it's not. Uh, you know, is it uh, something that could grease the skids in the direction of say something like Psalm 83? Uh, that we've talked about, where Israel is attacked in literally a semicircle around them of enemies. God supernaturally wipes out these enemies in such a way that the enemies come to know who the true and living God is. We haven't seen that happen yet, but this could be setting uh, the, the standard for this, particularly if uh, Jordan gets involved in the conflict as well. Mm. So, Wow. Thank you for that. So there we go. Yes. Thank you for that update. Prayers indeed. Um, for, the, for those who aren't familiar, the, you mentioned about the, the wars and rumors of wars. There's, there's certain things that the word tells us that we will see as the, as the end times draw closer, right? R wars and rumors of wars. Yeah, particularly as pertaining to uh, Israel being back in the land. Yeah, okay. You know, yeah. people say, well, there have been wars. You know, I think there's been, uh, I think in uh, the U.S. Army Journal, they said that in the last uh, 3,000 years, there's been 200 years of peace in the world. Mm. <laughs> so war is kind of what we do. Yeah. Uh, but uh, these are wars and rumors of wars, particularly pertaining not just to Israel, but to the prophetic picture of what God said uh, yeah. would happen in the end times to yeah. Israel. Wow. Yeah. Well, well, we have some questions coming in. Good questions. You guys ready? ready Let's launch. In? Let's do it. Yeah. Let's delve. <laughs> yeah. Question from Hank. Uh, you're joining us again today. We appreciate that. I know this was a question from yesterday that we didn't uh, get to. So thank you, Hank, for being with us again. Uh, he, he says, uh, we know that we feel physical uh, feelings through electrical impulses that send information to our brains through our nervous system. Once we die, we no longer feel pain due to the lack of a physical nervous system and a brain. How could we feel the excruciating flames of hell for eternity? So what, what do we know about our eternal bodies and whether we'll feel pain or if we'll feel pain? And how is that possible? Yeah, and... Uh Assuming, of course, a few other side comments that were mentioned from this individual yesterday, it's probably coming from an atheist, but he can clarify. The 
I guess, best thing to, and this is for the sake of those listening who are believers, when you're leveled with these kind of objections is firstly be sensitive to assumptions that are being made before addressing the question, because even if you give a completely valid answer, there's going to be working factors that will lead them to improper conclusions. And of course, sometimes you'll just be wasting time in appealing to uh, another notch in their belt, so to speak, of a Bible thumper that they can claim they stumped by admitting that their God is malicious and torturing people forever. Although, full commendation to you, Hank, you did use the right word, torment, and that's the first and important thing. There is a difference between torment and torture in that when the Bible describes the condition we call hell, and notice Mm -hmm. I said condition, not necessarily a place, we first need to understand that. Torment is an internal state of anguish, whereas torture is an externally caused form of anguish or pain. Now note, anguish is just a state of discomfort as much as the uh, grandiose flare-up of our nerves telling us that this is not where your body needs to be at a given moment. But when we're talking about anguish, when we're talking about torment, we're talking about someone's internal emotional state just as much as we could be talking about their external physical being. So firstly, let's just make sure that our dictionaries are the same translation, so to speak. If this condition is internal, then we can't blame an external source for that anguish. Let's first clarify that. The second thing is that when we're told about hell, one of the illustrations that are used to describe it are a lake of fire. That's in Revelation chapter 20. And having personal experience with fire before, I would say that would not be where you'd want to build a summer home. It's a very uh, uncomfortable state of being if that was to be describing where you were hanging out that day. And I'm not talking about jacuzzis as being on fire. But when we take a step too far into an illustration, which is the first of, I guess the third of three, if we're going chronologically here, We also need to take into consideration the fact that it was illustrated in other ways. Firstly, obviously, uh, Lake of Fire is not a recommended vacation spot, but there was another illustration that Jesus used to describe the state we know as hell, and it doesn't involve fire at all. In fact, it doesn't even involve light at all. It's referred to as outer darkness, a condition so separated from the light that, by the way, in that same passage is prepared for the devil and his angels, not mankind, we need to take into consideration the fact that, as C.S. Lewis once observed, we might be getting into a, uh, what was his uh, term exactly? Not a symbol, but a illustration, a word picture? Yeah, um, some people say, well, uh, hell and uh, the lake of fire, don't you think that's symbolic? And he said, no, Uh, well, we'd better hope it's not symbolic. Because a symbol is something we can understand that points to a greater reality that we can't understand. If hell is as described literally in the Bible, that's bad enough. But if this is just saying, uh, I'm giving you enough information to wrap your mind around this, but the reality is even worse. Which is what brings us to the first illustration used for hell, which was Gehenna. Now, Gehenna, or the Valley of Hinnom as it was called, was formerly a nice garden spot outside of Jerusalem, but had 
uh, I guess, essentially gone through renovations during the time of Jesus, where it had been converted into a garbage dump. Now, obviously, of all three of those illustrations and places, a garbage dump, a place of outer darkness, and a lake of fire, all three of those things are not necessarily mutually exclusive because they have one thing in common, not a place you want to go. Right. which I think is the crux of his point, as to making these illustrations. Likewise, in making these illustrations, a condition that you don't want to be in is continuously described as torment, which we took time carefully to describe as a condition of internal anguish, internal discomfort and shame. We're talking about a place that has been essentially been described even as prepared for the devil and his angels, not for humankind, but humankind enjoining what the devil and his angels had that place prepared for them for was their purposeful rebellion against God. He permits them an existence apart from him in the sense that, not that God isn't omnipresent and he's like compartmentalized this nexus zone or uh, what was the term in the DC comics? It was the... uh, I'm not a DC fan, so yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you get the idea, the negative the phantom zone. zone. Phantom zone. That's Thank it. You, <laughs> <laughs> you know the fan, but you I'll, still I'll know D- it. <laughs> I'll take DC for 500, Alex. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> but you get the idea. That's not the picture of the Bible, which is why in Revelation 14, it notes that in the presence of the Lord and of his angels, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever and have no rest who take the mark of the beast and worship the image and the number of his name. So we're seeing this continuous picture of a conscious place, a eternal place, a place that is symbolically or literally, you can take your pick, I'm more inclined to the former, holding that theme of a place that you don't want to go and that according to the gospel accounts as well as the book of Revelation, literally God said, you will go there over my dead and resurrected body that he literally endured the wrath of God on your behalf, Hank, in order to make sure that the only way for you to escape the natural state that we all have chosen to separate ourselves consciously from God is now then permitted to us in our rebellion and existence separated from him instead of leaving us in our torment, our anguish of being separated from what James describes as the source of every good and perfect gift that condition is what we call hell without Jesus. Jesus wants us with him, which is the definition of heaven. So if God's consciously done everything in his infinite power, short of violating our free will, to make it so that we can be with him forever, but also respects our decisions enough and even tolerates our blasphemous presentations of him as malicious for doing so, in allowing us an existence apart from him, the fact that he preserves us is not a question of our nerve endings, but the question of whether or not that's the sort of state we want to be in. Now, the question, Dave, you uh, filled in a bit of a gap to do Hank a favor. The question of our eternal bodies is oftentimes a questionable one because most schools of Christianity say that a resurrection body, like the one that Jesus demonstrated, having physical properties, but being able to exist forever, 
Well, it's going to have uh, essentially, you know, at least taste buds, we know for certain, because he was able to eat breakfast with his disciples in John chapter 20. He had nerve endings or at least some sort of physical properties to himself because he encouraged the disciples, touch me. A spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see that I have. Right. And uh, this is an aside, but just be prepared for this. If you encounter a Mormon that says the resurrection body has no blood, just tell them to take a hike. That's missing the whole point. But when we're talking about the emphasis of this body, it is physical and it is intended to exist forever, but they'd say that resurrection is not due to those who are separated from God forever, that they just kind of exist in this corporeal state, which is the second faulty assumption. We don't know that. We need to infer that into the text for this to even be a question. And normally when you have a question, you want to clarify the assumption, not make the assumption and say, why doesn't this make sense? So be aware of that too. If we're going with the first school that a spiritual existence apart from God does not include a body, there's more than one way to feel pain. For example, when it comes to my nerve endings and neurons, I can poke my finger with a needle and experience a different kind of pain. I could also look on social media and see the absolute incompetence of some people's approach towards life and feel a different form of pain. This would uh, be producing uh, some form of chemical in my brain that would cause me to react and feel a state of depression or even anger. But the point being made is just that. If we exclusively define a state of discomfort or anguish to a physical body, you're also making a third assumption that the spirit can't also perceive and react to stimuli or the lack thereof, which is also false. We are told in Scripture, if you're going to grant the existence of a hell as nonsensical, at least allow for the Bible to set up its own terms and stand or fall on those merits. If God is spirit, not physical body, but a spiritual entity, as John 4 tells us, then why is it that he's grieved? upon Israel's sin and rejection of him in the Old Testament? Why is he angry? Don't, don't you need some sort of uh, adrenaline-producing hormones in order for that to be experienced physically? Why is he able to experience joy in the presence of his people and at the salvation of those who come to him? Why is it that he's able to experience these things if it's only and here's the fifth assumption, a naturalistic world, that nothing can be done or experienced apart from the five senses, the physical realm, and the explanations therein. In order to debunk supernatural with natural, you have to assume the inexistence of supernatural, which is what you're trying to prove, not disprove. So let's just make sure that we got all of our Jenga blocks in a pile before we start to try to knock them over. If we're going to work with what the biblical definition of hell is, it's an internal state, not an external state of torture. If we're going with our glorified bodies or the absence thereof, obviously an eternal body can experience those things separated from God, but a spiritual body also can too. It's a non-issue either way, because the point is you're separated from the source of everything good, the source of not just physical comfort, but also emotional comfort, social comfort, hope, peace, love, all those things taken away forever as, and here's the third detail, you requested of him. An existence apart from God can only be done through the conscious rejection of his son. If you want to do that, he's granted you that ability, but if that doesn't sound like a prospect you would consider favorable, understand you're a walking miracle at this very moment. 
No one would want to even consider a relationship with Jesus or regard their existence apart from God as anything positive unless the Spirit is drawing him, Jesus revealed to us in the Gospel of John. Now, Dad, for the sake of Hank and those who may be sharing his mindset, maybe he's asking this because an atheist challenged him on it, but let's work with the assumption that he would attribute to God malice and think that he would be that sort of entity. What does the Bible say about God's attitude towards Hank and what he wants for him forever? How can he receive that relationship with Jesus, ergo not experiencing hell? Well, I think the uh, simplest uh, scripture to, that sums it all up is uh, John 3.16. For God so loved the world, including Hank, uh, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here we see God's dealings with mankind summed up we see that God's motive for dealing with us is love. Uh, the way he showed us and demonstrated this love was by giving his only begotten son. Not just that Jesus would take on human form and walk among us and tell us the truth about God or, or say, well, this is uh, how you get to heaven and good luck. He even provided that way uh, by dying for us on the cross. All we need to do to have our sins forgiven, to be reconciled to a right relationship with him is simply put our faith and trust in Jesus himself. In John chapter 5, Jesus himself said this, the one who hears my words and believes in the one who sent me has eternal life. He will not enter into judgment, ergo an eternity separated in hell, he will not enter into judgment but has passed from death into life. Hank, if you say yes to putting your faith and your trust in Jesus and what he has done for you, dying and rising from the dead in a moment of history, uh, the Bible says you've passed from death into life. Uh, you know, the, uh, the interesting thing, you know, you asked the question about, well, you know, well, if, if I don't have nerve endings, how can I feel so these sort of things? Well, uh, in uh, Psalm 16, verse 10, we are told that in God's presence is fullness of joy, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So that seems to sum up what Sean was saying about the whole idea that uh, spiritual beings, people with resurrection bodies, like the Bible promises us, will be able to experience uh, sensation in the world to come. We will also, if we reject a relationship with God, have a body that's going to last forever, uh, but it's going to last forever outside of a relationship with God. And uh, everything that is possible in terms of blessing in the presence of God is also going to be true in the opposite for those who reject him. You know, that's why God says that uh, he's not willing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance. So great question, Hank. We appreciate mm -hmm. even the uh, candor in which you uh, presented your remarks. And uh, we uh, definitely are open to interacting with anybody that has these kind of honest questions about God. Yeah. As long as they're asked yep. in the form of a question. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yes, Hank, thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you, guys. Uh, great answer. A uh, question from uh, Annie. Uh, she uh, was asking about Mark 4, 11, and 12. I can read it because I'm clever like that. Uh, Mark 4, 11, and 12 says... He's an educated man. <laughs> I'm an educated, educated man. And he said to them, uh, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may not see uh, nor, nor perceive, and hearing they may not hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be given then so her question from annie is why wouldn't jesus want all to be saved does the bible say uh that god is not willing that any would perish well wow. actually uh, this passage doesn't really have anything to do with god's desire or lack thereof 
for people to be saved. Uh, but what it is saying is that the teaching ministry of Jesus was conducted in such a way mm -hmm. that it would explain the kingdom of God to those who had an open heart to him. But it would also conceal the kingdom of God for those who had already made up their mind. Don't confuse me with my facts. The mind, my mind's made up. Mm -hmm. I don't want to know uh, about God. You know, the Bible tells us some things about his truth, that it is spiritually discerned. The natural yeah. man doesn't receive the things of the, the kingdom of uh, the, uh, the truth of God, nor can he, for they are spiritually discerned. In other words, in order to understand God's truth, God has to open your mind. He has to open your eyes and your understanding to be able to receive that. Uh, if you're open to that, well, then God is going to open his truth to you. If you're closed to that, then his truth is going to be like a closed book. I guess an illustration of this was the first time I ever read the Bible. I was a total non-believer, but somebody told me there were UFOs in the Bible mm -hmm. and uh, in the book of Ezekiel. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, we were on a Let's family vacation, got one of those Gideon Bibles out, and I read the first couple of chapters of Ezekiel, and I was like, whoa, this is really weird. Yeah. Uh, so I thought, well, maybe I should go back to the beginning. So I went back to Genesis, and I started reading some of that. And at first, I could kind of track and follow along, but before too long, you're running into genealogies and someone begetting so-and-so. And, you know, it was old King James stuff, so it had accent marks and, you know, strange names and five-syllable names and things like this. So mm -hmm. I thumb a few more pages forward, and suddenly I, I'm there in this area where they're describing sacrifices and uh, people taking kidney lobes and things like that. Yeah. I just shut the book and put it down and i said to myself who in the world can possibly get anything out of this it's just a bunch of jibba jabba mm -hmm. as they would say <laughs> uh so you know how interesting that i didn't open a bible again until i received jesus as my savior until he had made me born again through his spirit and man you know they gave me you know uh this uh you know remember those uh, little green uh uh New Testaments and the Psalms, mm. you know, they used to have. Right. They gave me one of those uh, at the uh, Billy Graham event. I gave my life to Christ, and I started reading it. And man, I just could not believe how good the Bible had gotten all of a <laughs> it sudden. It really improved it. You know, I, I mean, I read through the Gospel of John in one sitting. I couldn't wait to see what was going to happen next. Oh. You know, and, and, and so the question is, did something happen to the Bible? Did the Bible suddenly become better or more understandable? Or did something happen to my heart? That caused me to be able to understand yeah. God's word. So, you know, when we see Jesus speaking in parables, the interesting thing is this, even though we see this quote from Isaiah saying that there's going to be people who are just going to, uh-uh, forget it, you know, talk to the hand, I don't want to hear God's truth. How interesting that uh, Jesus went on to explain the meaning of these parables so that anybody that really wanted to know what these parables meant could have access right. to it. Uh, so, you know, anyone who says, well, you know, God's playing games with people and he just blinds some people and so on. Yeah. No, he merely recognizes the fact, Ephesians chapter two and verse one says that uh, before we came to Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, who was at work in the sons of disobedience. Uh, you know, this isn't something that we were buffaloed into. Uh, this isn't something that, uh, you know, we you know, were drag kicking and screaming into. The, you know, as you mentioned earlier, Sean, this is the natural state of fallen human beings. This is what we do. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we call ourselves homo sapiens, which means thinking man. I don't see a lot of thinking going on <laughs> out there. Maybe a better definition of our species would be sinning man, because that's exactly what we do. We fall short of the glory of God like falling off a log. But the good news is God didn't turn his back on us. He sent his son to die for us, to be risen from the dead, so that by faith in him, we can have a brand new heart and a brand new life and a brand new ability to understand his truth. Uh, believe me, Annie, God is far more interested in us understanding his truth than we are in understanding it. And uh, the, the wonderful thing is he has not only spoken to us through his son, exemplified his truth by delivering it personally through his son, but he, we are also told in the book of uh, John chapter 16 that he gives the Holy Spirit to us to lead us into all truth. He even allows his spirit to guide us so that we understand what the word of God has to say. So um, any failure to communicate, as they say, uh, kind of falls on us, doesn't right. necessarily fall on God. Yeah, makes yeah. Sense. So in a passage where Jesus not only went on to explain in plain terms exactly what he intended to say, it would be inappropriate to attribute to him malice or a desire not for someone to be saved in a quotation of a passage where God wasn't withholding truth, but speaking, telling Isaiah as he's called to be a prophet, uh, who shall go for us? Here my Lord, send me. Then he gives this quotation, or this statement basically, that's quoted not just by Jesus, but also Ezekiel and Jeremiah, because they were speaking to the same audience, a people that didn't want to hear what God had to say. Mm -hmm. But God was going to communicate truth to them anyway. But I thought this is the God that doesn't want certain people to be saved obviously an inappropriate handling of the text, if not a blasphemous accusation. Then when Isaiah goes on in chapter 6, his conclusion, he says, how long? And he says, you're going to have to deal with this cutting off the terebinth tree, but leaving a seed. What was the difference? Well, chapter 7, usually precedes chapter 6, gives an example of the kind of guy. And what? Or preceded, that would be before. But follows a guy named Ahaz, Well, was he the guy who was a sincere and genuine seeker of truth? Not hardly. But Uh God tells him his word anyway through Isaiah. So immediately in the chapter to follow from this quotation, in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 9, and you can look that up, Annie, we don't have to resort to ad hominem. We don't have to resort to attributing motive on God's part. We note that as the beginning of Isaiah chapter one begins. His desire in dealing with Israel, not just through Isaiah, but in general, is what? Let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And they asked, Does the, doesn't the Bible say that God's not willing for any to perish? Yeah, Second Peter chapter 3 notes that, but it's referencing Ezekiel 33 and verse 11. Weird how it keeps coming back to the Old Testament when reading the New Testament. Yeah. We need to get in that habit. Yeah, and you know, the other thing I'd add about, you know, you cited Annie, uh, Mark chapter 4, and if you keep reading Mark chapter 4, I think you can get a lot of your questions answered here. You know, in verse 23, after laying out this statement and a parable, Jesus said, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, it's God's desire that we do understand his truth, but understand something, God's also nobody's fool. He's not going to allow people to treat his truth as some kind of uh, plaything or an object of mockery. He said to them, take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, will measure to you, and to you hear more will be given. Forever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, you know, the only time you study the Bible is with your atheist annotated uh, objections to Christianity version of the Bible. 
chances are you're not going to really hear very much from God. Mm. But if you come to it with an open heart, with an open mind, you know, if, if you say, Lord, give me ears to hear, uh, let me understand what your word has to say, God will more than meet you at that place. Right. So, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks, Annie. Thanks for that, that question. I hope that helps you out, guides you along with that. A uh, question from Gene. This is a great question. Are certain sins not sins in certain circumstances? And she's talking about things like lying, stealing, or even killing. Yeah, the, the dilemma of, you know, would it be sinful for me to lie to the Gestapo if they asked if there were Jews right. in your attic, that kind of thing? You know, I always have a big gripe with that analogy, but go yeah. ahead. I'll, I'll get to my gripe <laughs> in a second. Well, <laughs> it's an excellent question because it challenges the listener to get to the heart of what sin actually is. It's not modeling God's actions, per se. It's modeling his character. And if we deviate from God's character in our words or our deeds or our attitudes— or actions, that's sin. And James even goes on to note, if a man knows to do good but doesn't do it, it's sin. Why? Because the definition of sin literally means to miss, not to violate a law, but to deviate from the intended target, which is modeling God's character. Being made in God's image means that we're not just creative agents, but moral agents, that apart from anything else in the animal kingdom, in all of creation, we are a unique species that suddenly cares not just about what to do, how to do it, but why we're doing it. And when you ask the question again, lying, a misrepresentation, or even a withholding of the truth, is that a violation of God's nature? That's what you mean by sin. Well, we look, for example, at certain accusations that skeptics and critics of the Bible would say in the book of 1 Samuel, for instance, when Saul or uh, Samuel rather was sent to anoint David in the town of Jesse in Bethlehem. He wasn't told it was David yet, but he was told to go to this place, and Saul was a bit paranoid uh, regarding the security of his kingdom since Samuel told him it was going to be taken away. So God told Samuel, don't tell him anything more than just where you're going, if he asks. Now, that would be a withholding of truth. Isn't that God encouraging dishonesty or at least a withholding of information? Isn't that a misrepresentation of reality? See, God's encouraging someone to lie. Well, that would be, again, if you attributed to God a definition of sin that God didn't provide. If we're in line with God's character, then we're going to want to, with the highest priority being relationships, preserve and represent reality accurately, not misrepresent it or mislead. That's the key, people. Yeah. So if we're asking in circumstances, I think we're close but short of the cigar, to note the illustration. It's the, not circumstance that matters, but the character of whom you're reflecting. Yeah. If I am in this situation and you're asked the question that never has a good answer, does this dress make me look fat? The withholding of truth, the proper answer at least, if you're going to not sin in that situation or at least not face... You could always say it's not the dress. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that causes different issues. Yeah. I have a spare bedroom, Scott, yeah, if you no, need to use it. No. What was I saying? The uh, point being made is this, though. Um, the preservation of relationships, the highest priority, right? He says, well, you always look beautiful, right? That would be dishonest from one angle, but... We're on very sketchy ground here. <laughs> I'm single. I can say this. The point being made, though, is that when we're talking about this issue, it's reflecting character. I'm repeating this so that we don't get our terms confused. 
Yeah, and uh, you know, when I say I kind of have a gripe about this analogy, I say, well, what if you were in World War II and you're hiding Jews, and the Nazis come and say, yeah. we hear you're hiding Jews, uh, where are you? Are you obligated at that point uh, to tell them the truth? You know, I always kind of go back to a, a fascinating uh, incident in the life of Jeremiah. Yeah, it might be the fact that I'm getting older and becoming more and more of a fuddy-duddy, but the longer I go on, the more I really appreciate the ministry of Jeremiah and all that he went through and, and how he handled the challenges so honestly and, and in his relationship with God and with other people. Uh, Jeremiah uh, basically has been telling Israel the truth they didn't want to hear, that the Babylonians have come, they're going to conquer the city, uh, if they don't surrender the Babylonians and open the gates and let them in, uh, everything's going to be burned down. They're all going to be slain by the sword. That's not a popular message. Mm, right. In fact, uh, a number of the uh, powers that be in the royal household wanted Jeremiah killed at that point. Mm. Well, King Zedekiah had him tossed in a particularly noxious kind of a present and uh, a prison, and uh, he found himself uh, up to uh, basically his chest in the muck and mire of an abandoned well. Hypothermia. Yeah, so uh, finally Zedekiah has seen what's going on. Uh, these hotheads leave. He wants to know what God has to say. So he sends for Jeremiah. They talk about uh, putting clothes and rags under his armpit and dragging him out of this, this uh, horrible situation that he was in. And in verse 14 of Jeremiah chapter 38, uh, it says, Then Zedekiah the king had uh, Jeremiah the prophet brought to him at the third entrance of the house of the Lord. And the king said to Jeremiah, I will ask you something. Hide nothing from me. Hmm. Okay, this is the same guy that allowed him to be in this life-threatening set of circumstances before. Uh, you know, his prison wasn't, you know, three hots and a cot. It was, you know, just this, this horrible set of circumstances. Yeah. Jeremiah says to Zedekiah, if I declare it to you, will you not surely put me to death? And if I give you advice, you will not listen to me. Now, Jeremiah spoke truthfully in both circumstances. Yep. He says, I say to you uh, what God has said, you know, the, there's only one of two options here. Either you're going to kill me or you're going to completely ignore everything that I have to say. So Zedekiah the king swore secretly to him, as the Lord lives who made our very souls, I will not put you to death, nor will I give you in the hand of these men who seek your life. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, if you surely surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then your soul shall live. This city shall not be burned with fire, and your house shall live. But if you do not surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then this city shall be given into the hand of the Chaldeans. They shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from the land. And Zedekiah the king said to Jeremiah, I'm afraid of the Jews who've defected to the Chaldeans, lest they deliver me into their hand and they abuse me. And Jeremiah said, they shall not deliver you. Please obey the voice of the Lord, which I speak to you, so it will be well with you and your social live. But if you refuse to surrender, this is the word the Lord has shown me. And then he talks about how the women of the, the household are going to be mocking him for being such a wimp and that he himself yeah, all of his uh, princes are going to die, and then he's going to end up in captivity in Babylon in a horrible set of circumstances. So, you know, when the, the question comes up, okay, you're in Nazi Germany, the Nazis come to you and they say, are you hiding Jews? And you're hiding Jews. So, you know, usually the answer is couched in one of two options. 
you either lie to the Nazis because they're no good Nazis and mm -hmm. because they're Nazis, they don't deserve to know the truth. And boy, you got to protect those Jews. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they get into all of these, you know, intricate things about, you know, more important values and more important commandments and, and things like this. Or you could just say, I am not going to tell you because yeah. I know what you will do with this information. Mm. Do with me what you will. Mm. Yeah. That's an option that never gets brought up yeah. in these circumstances. And, you know, you talk, Sean, uh, about the, reflecting the character of God. How did Jesus deal yeah. with those who were rejecting his truth, even staring down the barrel of crucifixion? When Pontius Pilate said to him, do you not answer me? Do you know that I have the power to crucify you or to set you free? What did Jesus say? All those who hear the truth hear my voice. Yeah. You say rightly that I am a king, but if my kingdom was of this world, my followers would fight. Since my kingdom's not of this world, they are there to testify the truth. So, so he told the truth, right? Yeah, and also it's worth remembering on top of Pilate, he also had an audience with Herod, one of his, not Herod the Great, but one of his descendants, and he didn't answer him a word. He knew that people were either listening, considering, but ultimately had a decision to make or already had their mind made up. Yeah, so, you know, when the question comes up, you know, are there certain things, you know, can you lie? in certain circumstances well it's almost like saying uh well are there certain circumstances where say um i can offer one of my children to moloch <laughs> you know because not, not you that. know maybe you know are there certain circumstances uh where you know you can go down the the, the line on the is it are there certain circumstances where it's really okay after all to commit adultery no matter what the ten commandment commandments have to say is there a way for me to act less like God while still being like God? So the, the question always comes down to this, you know, and I used to sit in on these elaborate conversations, especially when I was in youth and college ministry and yeah. youth and college pastors always like to uh, talk about these things and, you know, saying, well, can you be a Christian and still be involved with this? Yep. Uh, you know, where do you draw the line morally? Can a Christian be a Christian and still and then fill in? Uh, the quasi-debatable uh, behavior. The, 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 the behaviors become less and less debatable down through time. It's just, can you be a Christian and completely repudiate everything God has to say about sexuality? Right. Uh, but, but when you know, we get into these conversations, one day it just dawned on me, we're asking the exact wrong question. Yeah. Because instead of asking, okay, what does it mean for me to be faithful in this particular issue? What does it mean for me to conduct myself morally and ethically and spiritually in a way that leads me closer to God, yeah. not farther from Him. Yeah. Um, you know, instead of trying to see how far away from God we can get and still be in, right. maybe we should be going the opposite direction. Absolutely. And I've just found that that gives a lot of clarity in these uh, these situations. Yeah. Some people say, "Well, you're being superficial," and well, you know, uh, you know, hey, I'd rather stand before the Lord with superficial than try to explain to God someday why I did this song and dance and clearly didn't do what he called me to do. Absolutely. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's a real, real quick side point, but when we were going through Proverbs, these dilemma situations where there's no good answer, but you have to choose the lesser of many evils, the, you know, life raft, who do you save, those kinds of things and stuff, I was always the instigator. I said, well, I'll jump out to make room for someone else. But the point being made is this, if you're in a bad situation, 
the reason it's bad is because there are no good options. The wise thing to do would be to flee Germany <laughs> before you're put into that kind <laughs> of situation. If you're put into a situation where you have to do these things, that's just a remark on poor decisions that led up to that. Or mm -hmm. if you decided to stay in Germany, say like a Dietrich Bonhoeffer, mm -hmm. who was safe in the United States, had you know could have rode out World War II with uh, no uh, difficulties whatsoever, but felt a calling to go back and minister the truth to his people. Um, you know, in, if you're called to be in that situation, you're called to be in that situation. Yeah. And when where God guides, he provides. Mm -hmm. He's going to give you all the power necessary to be able to stand in that set of circumstances. And, I, and one of the reasons I'm sort of belaboring this point is, you know, people have been asking this question, you know, do you think we're going to see persecution of believers in the United States? Well, I think we're kind of already seeing the shots over the balance. Right. Poor guy in Florida who uh, testify or uh, they open comments at a uh, school board meeting actually quoted a, a verse of scripture. Uh, and uh, this group of teachers and, uh, and other individuals, this pressure group, uh, doxed him they called his employer and demanded that he put guys out of a job wow. because he expressed a scripture at a school board meeting. Mm. And not the first time. So, yeah. you, know, you know, like Bob Dylan always said, you don't have to be a weatherman to see which way the wind's blowing. You know, there, there's going to come a time where, you know, and I don't want anybody to get hysterical or bummed out. There's going to come a time where there's going to be a real cost associated with professing your faith yep. in Jesus. There, there really is. And, you know, the, the, the way you're prepared for that, you know, is by letting your roots go down deep in the soil of God's marvelous love right here, right now. Make sure you're building your foundation of faith on the rock that is hearing Jesus' words and putting them into practice daily, uh, asking uh, God on a constant basis and becoming familiar with this practice to be filled with the power of his Holy Spirit to face whatever challenges you face, whether they're large or small in this life. And as we, in a sense, practice, then when the bottom really falls out, and it will, yeah. you know, we're going to have a foundation of faith that is going to stand because it's built upon the rock of God's faithfulness, the power of his spirit, uh, allowing his word to dwell in us richly. But now is the time to do that. Yeah. You know, saying, oh, wow, persecution's coming. I better get my act together. Right. Well, no. it might be too late. Yes. So, so ask God to give you the power right where you're at to let his word dwell in you richly, filled with the Holy Spirit, put into practice his word today. You're going to be fine. Amen. Beautiful send-off for today. It's the weekend. We'll see you back here on Monday. God bless you guys. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.